welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. Hey Stella, welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. How are we doing? I'm good, thank you very much. It's a nice sunny day here in Spain. Night, night, nice sunny night. Oh, okay. Whereabouts in Spain are you? I'm in Burgos in northern Spain, a very lovely city. Oh, nice, nice. I think, um, so I'm in, and this feels weird to say this, sunny Manchester. Um, oh, well, that's unusual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is it. It's very, very unusual. So I guess the, at the start of the show, I tend to ask my guests to pick um, four numbers from one to a hundred. So if you could go ahead and just pick four random numbers for me, that'd be great. One. Yep. 73. Okay. 21. Yep. 99. Perfect. We will come to them later on down the line. So, Stella, I guess, you know, when 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 my show when my guests come on the show, I tend to ask them to kind of summarize and give me the logline of who they are or or, or what their logline is. Can you remember what yours was? <laughs> um yes, I I thought what I'd say is I'm a curious, creative, practical pragmatist that started my life studying psychology, accidentally fell into um, IT and programming, so I was a COBOL programmer, and then sort of climbed my way out and, and joined L&D about 20 years ago, where I found that, you know, that was, that was where I should always have been, probably. Um, I'm an author, and I have recently become a brain lady. Okay, okay. And we are definitely going to touch on that one for sure. So (laughs) before we get into kind of your book and stuff, because I really do want to get into that as soon as possible, actually. But but when you were in school, Stella, and the teacher would come up to you and say, Stella, what is it you want to be when you grow up? What is it you would say back to him? I think for quite a long time, I actually wanted to be a fashion designer. I used to I used to spend all my time drawing, you know, really gorgeous clothes and people with gorgeous clothes on. So for a long time, that's what I wanted to be, but I never I never came. I never got that far. <laughs> okay, okay, this is good to know. So, I mean, for for my guests, for them who who might not know who you are, maybe if you could still give us a bit of a whistle stop tour of kind of your career, where you've been, and kind of you know how you've got to where you are right now in your career. So, so as I say, I mean, I, I, I started with a psychology degree, I did a master's in human communication because I was really interested in, in people and how they worked. Um, at the time I was looking for work, there were lots of jobs going in IT and um, I ended up being a COBOL programmer and, I, you know, I really enjoyed that. It was great. But I eventually kind of started to move more into the, the support role, um, internal technical support. Um, and I really enjoyed the um, translation between sort of the, the really techie guys who I didn't entirely understand them, but I understood them enough to be able to translate into sort of human for the people in the business who didn't understand anything they were talking about. So that was really good. And then, and then as I say, I kind of moved into, I, I got given this hat that was IT support and training manager. And I did not want to do the training part because... I'd had lots of really awful IT training and I didn't want, you know, I just didn't want to do that. Um, Also, most of my family were teachers and I didn't want to do that either. Um, But started working with somebody who was really inspirational. She kept saying, Stella, this stuff is about psychology. You you know, it's made for you. You're right for it. And kind of got into it and and just really, really found my feet. Really love the whole world of L&D. 
I love the fact we help people and we support businesses and we transform things in a really positive way. Um, and I think for me, bringing in the sort of the psychology, I did a scientific psychology degree, so bringing in the neuroscience and the psychology that I had was really important to start being a little bit cynical perhaps and critical of some of the models that were out there and some of the ideas that were out there that I kept thinking, that's just not ringing true somehow. So that's kind of become a, a bit of a passion for me now is to try and, you know, debunk some myths and, and try and make sure that what we do is, is really evidence, evidence-based. Okay, perfect. Thanks for that. So, you know, I, I guess a lot, a lot of what this, this podcast is about is about more getting to know, you know, Stella and, and where these ideas and, you know, where the book and stuff came from. But I think in order for us to kind of look at the future, we sometimes have to look in the past and, you know, when we see it in kind of the, the the corporate environment or whenever we're going for interviews or whatnot, we're always asked to tell us about how good we've been at a job. And, and one of my arguments is actually we, sh- we should be asking people to tell us about the failures. You know, that's for me is where we get a lot of most of our learnings from. And and if I was to ask you a question, Stella, and I guess what would your what's been the biggest failure what you've had? What has ended up being one of your strongest positives? you know later on down the line biggest failure yeah um it was quite soon after i i got into um training and i was working with um some really really great people they're really good and i was very excited because I, I really hadn't done any training at all really not not sort of really and um i was working with this guy we were running a program together it was a leadership development program and i had just learned the two little pieces I needed to know. I knew nothing about the rest of the program. I had just, you know, really religiously learned what I needed to do. It was a very brain-friendly program, so it was very, um, you know, over to the learners, but I still felt I needed to know everything. And um, about, must have been break time on the first day, day one of a two-day program, he got a phone call from his wife to say, um, I'm really sorry, darling, but that baby that's due in a couple of months is arriving right now. So he just had to leave. And I was then left with a group of, you know, leadership people <laughs> and the senior head of L&D who was watching very carefully. And I just went to peace. I did not know what to do. Um, and I sort of tried to work my way through some bits of the program that I knew. And it was just absolutely, utterly horrible. Um, fortunately, the next the next day, the sort of the, the other person who could run the program turned up and, and he just, you know, he took over really. And I learned so much from that, you know, so much about you know, what you need to prepare. But also what I would do now would just be so different. I just wouldn't, still be, you'd still have to think about it, but I'd call a break. I'd go away and think, you know, well, what's the best way to get the learning out of these people? And actually they can probably do it themselves. All I've got to do is provide an environment for them to, to learn. So I wouldn't have that responsibility. I've got to do everything. Um, yeah. So that was, that's my biggest learning. And I think so, it's... No, I, th- I think that's perfect. I think it's really interesting kind of, you mentioned, you know, you, you don't have to be this this person who, who has to make them learn and, and you talked about kind of this environment and I think, you know, we're probably going to touch upon that later in, in the book as well but I guess just just kind of connecting the dots of the books actually. If, you, if I was to say to you, Stella, what book would you give to five people as a gift? What book would you pick? Oh. <gasps> The easy one off the top of my head is John Medina's Brain Rules. 
I think that's a really useful, practical, nicely designed book with lots of really, really interesting um, science in it. But if you were, so it depends who you're giving the gift to, doesn't it? But there is also, um, there was a man called um, Ramon, Santiago Ramon y Cajal, who was the guy who first sort of discovered that neurons weren't one big connected thing. They were individually, um, they were individual cells. And he had, he was a, a, an artist. He wanted to be an artist, but he ended up being a doctor um, and, and studying brain cells. But he has painted the most exquisite pictures before we had photography, really, the most exquisite pictures of brain cells and things. And apparently his book is, you know, you can, you can get his book of brain cells. So that could be a really nice gift for somebody who was interested. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, you know, it, it sounds like kind of when we get talking, you know, this the, this neuroscience and, and the stuff what we're talking about here is is is, is something what for me, I think, it seems from you kind of you know you're really passionate about it, but be, kind of again you know these questions that can be aimed personally and professionally, um, but just one more of these quick fire round questions. If you was to, you can have a billboard and a million people is going to come out of a stadium and see this billboard. What message would you put on that billboard? That's a great question. I will put learn to learn. Learn to learn. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, go for it. That, that, makes, that gives everybody the skills to do it for themselves. Okay. Okay. So so yeah, learn, learn to learn. Kind of walk me through that because I kind of, yeah, explain that one to me (laughs) well everybody gets you know everybody has to learn it's it's just you know it's human nature we can't not learn and we are you know regularly compelled to learn or need to learn for ourselves all the time um but we're never actually taught to learn nobody ever says look this is a really good way for learning and this is you know this is how you've kind of experienced it so far but actually it's not that useful so there's just lots of organizations for the moment are spending lots of money on, you know, big training programs, on, on LMSs, on, on digital technology, you know, virtual reality, artificial intelligence. They're spending squillions. Um, but we're not actually necessarily supporting the learner to, to use that technology or that content or those materials as well as they could do. So we're still getting, you know, despite the fact there's some amazing technology, there's still a lot of, you know, content-heavy stuff, which is just really hard for people to process and take in. So I just think if we teach people to learn effectively or help them learn to learn necessarily, give them some, you know, good clues as to how to do it really well, they will learn for themselves, but they can do it more efficiently. And that's going to be important as well in sort of a, you know, an ever, an ongoing ongoing changing world people are going to need to learn and adapt and learn to forget as well hmm learn to forget that's that's a great point so i guess kind of I, I, you know for me i wanted to get into this book as soon as possible so let's just go there stella so <laughs> so yeah i mean talk to me about your book am, am i right in saying and and forgive me if I'm wrong is this a second edition am i right in saying that i've just I've just finished writing the second edition. Yeah. We've just finished the um, the proofing and things like that. So the second edition will come out in August. Okay. Okay. So probably three years old now. So so yeah. I mean, 
and, and yeah, you know, with the second edition, don't give anything away which you don't want to give away just yet. But maybe maybe talk to me about your book because, you know, my audience kind of stems far and wide. There's people who've been in the in the L and D world for a long time now, and there's kind of people who who are, who are new who are new to this. And you know, I can remember my experience when I got into L and D, and my my journey kind of came in. It was I was a deliverer, then I went into design, then I went into OD and group, and kind of yeah, then I kind of continued into where I am now. But I remember one of the key things when I very first joined was. There was so much knowledge and so much ideas and so much, so much to kind of get carried away with, and and I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what you know what was valuable, what wasn't valuable. You know, it could be easy for someone to kind of come into this world now and go, "Oh, VR is the new shiny thing," but maybe maybe tell us about kind of your your book and your neuroscience. I'm 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 intrigued. <laughs> So I think I said at the beginning, I'm a, a pragmatist and I'm practical. So the book does have lots of, um, you know, it has all the neuroscience in it that you that you need as, a, as an L&D person. But more importantly that, it, what it does is, it, for me, it takes it takes some of that theory and says, okay, that's that's really interesting because I think it does, you know, it does get people interested. That's really interesting. But what does that actually mean for me if I'm designing, if I'm delivering, if I'm working in organizational development and I am having to create a sort of a culture where learning is is easy, natural, happening. Um, you know, as as as, as business as, as as we kind of move into the um, you know the fourth industrial revolution, people are going to have to learn new skills more often, more quickly, and and newer skills that we you know we don't even know what they are at the moment. So people are going to have to learn, and I think you know we as in L and D, we may not be called that in the future, um, are going to have to help them learn. And understanding what happens in people's heads when they learn is really useful. But understanding the practical things you can do to make it easier for them is, is for me, what's really important. So the book is, you know, it's got the science in it, but it's about these are practical ideas. Every chapter has um, practical ideas that you can you know, go away and apply. Some of them you could apply immediately, you could go straight back and do something different. Um, some of them you'd, you know, you'd have to do some preparation and redesign what you were doing. Okay. So, you know, without giving too much away, because I want people to go and buy the book, um, what free, what free top, and, and maybe it's maybe it's free top tips for someone who's new into into this world. What, what free things, what, you know, golden nuggets do you think would be vital for someone who's kind of, coming new into and like you mentioned you know we might not be in L&D for much longer but given that's where it is right now what what three tips would you give so um the first one is never do for the learner what they can do for themselves always let you know if, if they can read the book if they can look at the website if they can read a blog if they can you know um pick up the computer and, and use it if they can pick up the the bricks and build them let them do it don't don't do it for them. So that's that's the key one. Always let the learner do it because it's them that's got to make the changes. You as the expert already know how to do it. Um, there's a really easy one that I think most people seem to really like, which is that if you ask people to guess an answer, even if they guess the answer wrong, so long as you they get the answer, you tell them that they find it in some way, as long as they have guessed it, they are more likely to remember the correct answer when they're given it and then to remember it for longer. 
And they think that's because as you guess an answer, you kind of warm up those cortical pathways so that when you put the answer, when you put the answer in, it's kind of already warmed up and ready to to be absorbed. So, you know, get people to guess and explain to them that it's good to guess. Explain to them that that will help you learn. I'm not being mean. I'm not going to tell you off if you get the answer wrong. All I'm doing is helping you remember it better. Um, what else? And motivate them or help them feel motivated. Make people feel, you know, curious, safe, and like they can explore and experiment. So that motivation piece, if they're not motivated, they're just not even going to, the rest of it is just wasted, really. Okay. So there's three things at quite different levels, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. I think I think it's, it's, it's really good advice. I guess I kind of just want to kind of jump in a little bit, actually, and thinking about it. When it, when it kind of comes to this, you know, feeling um, motivated and motivate them, you know, how how vital is it in your eyes about the environment at which they're in and engaging in? The, the physical or psychological environment? Yeah, maybe maybe it's both. Maybe it's both, but maybe kind yeah. of, you know, admit, let's go with kind of psychological first, if you like. So I think the psychological environment is absolutely crucial. So what's going on in people's heads when they arrive, you know, to... When they, when they start to learn, whether they're arriving to training course, picking up some e-learning, Googling something on, you know, on the internet, it really doesn't matter. But what's going on in their heads, if they are feeling curious and are interested and want to learn, it'll happen naturally. You almost can't stop it happening. But if they're feeling resistant or worried that, you know, if I learn this thing, um, maybe I won't be very good at it, or maybe they're worried that, you know, our jobs are all changing and now I've got to learn this new thing. And actually I'm really fearful because, you know, my role's about to change and, you know, I, I've done what I've done for years and I really, really don't want that to happen. So any of those sort of fear factors will, will not support good learning. And, and, you know, learning is about being able to do things better. And if people don't feel that they will be able to do things better, if they've had really, really bad experiences at school, for instance, where they just felt stupid, when they come into work and suddenly, you know, they're asked to, to go on a course or they're asked to do some e-learning and, and that just immediately gives them that feeling of, but I'm stupid, I can't learn. Right. You've got to get over that somehow. And and, and, and I guess how, how, how do you do that? Because I, I, can, I can remember um, just, it, you just provoked a really good memory. I say really good, you, you provoked a strong memory for me when I was young, kind of. So I have dyslexia and dyspraxia um, but it didn't get flagged up until I was in university. Um, and I remember when I was in school, I think it was maths. And I remember the teacher was kind of shouting at me. He's like, how are you not getting this? How are you not getting this? And I remember <laughs> sitting there thinking, I don't understand what you're writing on the board. It, it looks gibberish to me. It makes no sense. And maybe, you know, when we look at kind of our training courses and, and, and the things, you know, and we'll use it as, as in the context of maybe like a classroom or how can we, how can maybe it's managers, maybe it's maybe it's managers or your you, uh, facilitators, but how can we prime that environment? So for me, this is what brain friendly learning is about. It's about understanding, you know, the different ways of learning that people have, the challenges they might have. Um, and I'm not saying you know you have to understand everything about dyslexia, but if you make sure that as you're delivering. If you're delivering information or knowledge of some sort, 
you know, don't just do it through writing something on the board. Have images, allow people to, um, you know, to manipulate things. I can, uh, like you, I'm, I'm not I'm not dyspraxic, but I can remember, I think I might have problems with numbers sometimes. And I can remember at school trying to do maths and it didn't mean anything to me. These numbers on the board, they weren't real things. And my dad brought home a whole pile of blocks. He, he was a teacher and he brought home a whole pile of blocks and I could start putting these blocks all together and manipulating them. And suddenly things began to make more sense. So it's about providing different options for people so they can find the way that works for them. So it's interesting you mentioned kind of blocks there. And, you know, there's a big thing now within Lego with serious play and kind of having this this, this play and this curiosity and stuff. But how, how you know, and, and, and do you actually think it's possible that, you know, facilitators, given the time restraints and given the fact of, you know, and I always use kind of a context of maybe something like a call centre where the people come offline answering calls and they have a five-minute walk from kind of, you know, the, the answering the last call to making it to a training room. How do we how do we kind of stop our people bringing in the 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 last phone call into the kind of this this training environment or this learning environment? How I, I mean, yeah, how, have you seen anyone who's done that really well, or kind of what's your take on that? I mean, part of it is the learner has to take responsibility for themselves. So I we were running a training program once, um, and. We always set up the, so the physical environment, again, is really important because that will give people a signal as they arrive. So if it looks like school, if it's, you know, rows of desks, that's not going to do a great thing. If it's a great big board table, that's really, really poor for people feeling safe. They they, don't, they feel threatened on a board table. Even if it's, um you know, a very typical horseshoe of tables and chairs around it, it separates people out. So all our programs, we tend to start with people Standing up as they come in, we've got an activity for them to do. We kind of introduce them casually to each other. So they're sort of, you know, they're, they're meeting new people, but not in a threatening way. And they've got something to do. So they're not feeling, you know, well, I, don't, I don't know anybody here. I feel a bit nervous. Um, or, or they've come with a friend and therefore they can work with their friend. So either way, they've got, they've got choices. But I remember seeing a lady come into one of our training courses and as she walked in, I thought, oh, We've got something going on here. She was absolutely stony-faced. She was clearly something had happened. And we sort of, we'd had everybody standing around. They had things things to look at on the walls. So, that you know, the, the, the environment was interesting. It was distracting. We all sat down and I saw her just take this massive deep breath. And she kind of breathed in and breathed out. And she became a different person. And she'd taken that responsibility for herself. She recognized that she was not in the great state. And she had, she changed her state. So some of it is getting learners to realize they've got to do that. But some of it is creating an environment where they think, oh, this is different. Okay, this isn't, this isn't, not that it's scary different, but it's, okay, this isn't what I was expecting. And hmm, maybe I need to pay a bit more attention. And, and, and actually distract them from that last conversation they've just had. Or sometimes you might have to actually acknowledge it and say, you know, I can see that some of you have had a tough day today. Let's just, let's get rid of that in some way. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I guess that kind of, that, that change in context between one to the other is, you know, I, I read a book a while back about, um, I think it was called Nudge, 
and it was kind oh, it's of a great book. Yeah, and it, and they've used a great example of um, petrol. You know, when the petrol light comes up on your car, it isn't saying it's kind of it's not say it, it's alerting you to kind of say you know you need to fill fill your tank up. But actually, what it's doing is the light is actually just a change in context from one state to another. And actually, that was fundamentally talks about how that light is the element to that. But I guess coming back to this thing of, you know, there's a, there's always an argument, and I'm sure you won't you won't be this won't be new to you. But there's this argument of oh, classroom training needs to you know we need to we need to move more and more away from this, and we need to be more digital and more kind of you know e-learning and this and that and kind of less less cla- you know less classroom. What's your what's your take on that? Because I mean, fundamentally, if you look at say, and I use e-learning as the context of this click next e-learning from from way back when, well, what you still see now, I guess as well. But yep. you know, it's it's kind of like, how can we, how can, I guess the question what I'm trying to get round to is kind of how how can you, how can you remove something like a classroom or an experience when the only other alternative at the moment seems to be this e-learning. What, what's your, I mean, what's your take on that? So I think there's some really good e-learning, there's some really good digital learning, and there's some really rubbish classroom learning. So I don't think it's really about the context. I think it's about how well it's designed and delivered that is probably the most important. And I do really think that digital learning can really, really support learning. So. I think one of the really good ways to use digital is to, you know, give people access so they can access it when they need to, you know, it's it's there, they can, you know, whether it's job aids or whether it's actual information they want to find, I think that's really useful. Um, Clearly there's, you know, there's lots of apps and things now that people are completely addicted to their learning apps are completely addicted to them. And those are really working as well, because, you know, if you're addicted to it, you're going to keep using it and, um, so that they can be really, really good for that sort of thing. I still think we need social learning. I think we are very, um, we're very human. We need social uh, connection. And actually I have, so, so I think what we need is a blend. But I have had an experience recently that I'm going to share with you um, that has made me think about this quite deeply. So we moved to Spain two years ago and put all our best things, all our precious things in storage. And over Easter, we were told the storage unit had burned down. So everything we had has gone. That's been really, really difficult, as you might imagine. Yeah, wow. But what's been really, really interesting is the memories I have of those things. So we went back to our, our house um, and we went into every room that didn't have our stuff in anymore. We went back into every room and I sat there and I thought, so what was there and what was there? And what do we have in that cupboard? And I realized that it was the physical sensations, the sound sensations, the smells of things, the movements you had to do to, you know, I don't put things away or get them out. Or all those things were encoded in my body. So I had, an, I had a particularly strong memory we had to create an inventory list and I'm not saying we've got every single thing but I reckon we've got pretty much most of the things that are in that house and the reason I'm saying that is I think one of the challenges of digital is you don't you're not going to get that same 
really multi-sensory, really strong memory of it. So I just wonder going forward if we are using more and more digital. Are we, are we taking something away if we don't allow at least some face-to-face real, real world learning? Yeah, and I, th- I think it's actually a great shout out. Actually, when I think about some of my, you know, when I very first started out, some of my best experiences being being actually someone who who's been involved as, um, you know, not not actually being a facilitator, but being part of the the audience. Kind of actually, when I look at kind of the difference between that, there's there's a, there's a, a distinct couple of times which which have stood out, and fundamentally that's that's been the people who who have thought about that experience and not necessarily thought about it as a classroom, so to speak, but as an experience. In fact, one one of one of the, the sessions that I went, what I went into kind of had candles lit, giving off this kind of sense of, you know, you was walking into something slightly different, it kind of changed the mood. Yeah, I think I think the the sensory experiences we get from real world learning as opposed to digital virtual world learning are that might change, you know, once we get smell around in virtual reality. But but I don't think it's going to. I think I think it would be almost impossible to create real experience. Yeah. I mean, when you look at kind of the things which are which are as close to that as possible right now, you know, you've got your VR and your AR, but fundamentally it does only tap into kind of one, two, three, three maximum of kind of yeah. the things that are going on. And, and, you know, um, whilst we sort of tend to think of five uh, senses, there are actually far, far more. So five senses were described. I think it was Plato or, yeah, I think it was Plato sort of said there are these five senses. Actually, there's far more senses. So, there's you know, we've got the sense of balance. You've got your sense of, of hot and cold. You've got your sense of, um, you know, where, where, where are my limbs in relation to the rest of my body? You know, how does my stomach feel? We have so many more senses, sense of time, sense of connection, um, you know, all those things that are much harder to recreate in a digital world. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think um, one, of, one of my key focus points probably for the last two, maybe two, two, three years, knowing that it was a focus point has been kind of this experience design so kind of a lot of which I've been doing now, I've been working with people like um, Punch Drunk um, and kind of looking at true immersive experiences rather than it being this kind of digital, but actually this more interactive experience. And I think it's interesting, the more we try to, the more things change, the more we tend to stay the same. And I, <coughs> and I think that, you know, we've kind of gone one way originally with digital and we've kind of thrown everything at it and gone, Everything needs to be digital and everything needs to be e-learning, e-learning, e-learning. I think actually what you're seeing now is digital's got its place for performance support, job aids, just in time. But we still... and, and also really useful for reviewing learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and you know, because digital is available, it's there all the time, you, can, you know, people can access it when they want to. If you've got to wait, you know, it depends how organizations organize their training, but if you've got to wait, even if it's three months for a training program, sometimes that happens, you know, that might just be, you haven't got enough. So at least you can get yourself warmed up with digital. 
and then have the face-to-face for that kind of, you know, now I need to practice it. Now I need an experience. Now I need to, to talk to somebody who perhaps is an expert to, to get some of my questions answered that I can't get answered digitally. Yeah, and I, th- I think I use this this kind of sentence to kind of, when someone says to me, what is experience design? And I think right now pe- experience design has, has yet to be defined what it actually is. I think people mm-hmm. use it differently in different contexts. But I kind of say experiences open a door to allow changing. And I think fundamentally you need an experience, you know. You, yeah. ne- you need something to kind of, and I, I'm going to use the word nudge, but you need something to open you up and make, and you know, and prime you to be. Yeah. I think that's part of the motivation to want to learn something new. If Whether you have a good or a bad experience, you need something that that make I mean that that is what being human is isn't it having an experience and learning from it yeah definitely that's 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 how we evolved to to be where we are today it's really interesting I think the more I I think you know when we talk about kind of like you mentioned it actually um before it was kind of like you've seen really bad e-learning and you've seen kind of really good e-learning but, yeah. you know, I think storytelling is a massive aspect, which is still struggling on, on a, yes, on a digital way. Storytelling is amazing. But, but I guess that's another thing when I, when I sit back down and I, I think about kind of, you know, what, what is one of these things, what, what I'm missing. You know, when I think about it, I, and I'm going to use a really dry subject here, but compliance, for example, you mm-hmm. know, compliance and, and e-learning will be fine for compliance it's kind of you know it's one of these things for the business what we need to have and and stuff but I just I do worry I do worry about this this kind of everything needs to be digital and actually you know where are we going to be in in 10 or 15 years time when people can't really recall that e-learning what we did yeah And, and Danny compliance learning every compliance rule has a story behind it those rules don't just get invented for, you know, because somebody wants to create compliance rules. Everyone is because somebody had an accident or, you know, was fraudulent or hurt somebody or, you know, every compliance rule has a really good story, a motivating story as to, you know, why do we need to behave like this? And so for me, there is no such thing as a, as a dry or a boring topic. There's only dry and boring training. Mm. And anything can be made the thing is everything is interesting i think it's often the training or something about the way people present this stuff that suddenly it becomes dry it becomes unemotional and actually it's it is it is real and if we if we embrace if if we if we look into the stories and share the stories as to why we need that compliance then people kind of you know that a they'll remember it better and b they're going to they're at least going to think about it and make a decision at the point where they think do I, you know, do I, um, I'm trying to think of a compliance thing, you know, do, do I pick up the wrong fire extinguisher or do I, um, you know, do I shout at this child, whatever it might be, at least if they've got a strong story in their head as to why they're not supposed to do that, that gives them a, a choice moment. Whereas if it's just do not shout at children, do not, you know, use the green fire extinguisher. Yeah. It's not memorable. Yeah, and yeah, exactly that. There's, a, there's, you know, I use this kind of when I'm when I'm having conversations. Like, there's a reason why we remember our favourite teacher. Yes. So yes. It's really- and and you 
you were talking about experience. We, we so learn from experience. So I told that story before about um, that experience where I was, you know, completely unprepared, really, um, or only prepared for a very small part of the day. And I recently had an experience where I turned up prepared for eight people to be at the training program. And as I walked into the room, I thought, there's a lot of chairs here for, 20, for eight people, aren't there? Hmm. And this room doesn't look set up as I was expecting. So I got the room rearranged. And then I sort of checked. And I thought, I've got 23 people coming, not eight. So now I have to adapt this program I was running for 23 people. Actually, it worked better because suddenly I had to change. I had to adapt. And I had to let them sort of take the reins more. And it worked out really well. Yeah, it was- there's something to that kind of that mindset as well, right? Kind of your your mindset to that was actually this is the cards what I've got now this second. You know I've prepped for eight, I've got twenty three, and actually your your mindset to kind of being, and I'm going to say a buzzword here, but being agile and kind of, you know, a lot of people would have gone whoa 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 I'm I'm not doing this this I'm not prepared I'm not you know blah blah blah, but actually your mindset to that sounds like one of kind of you know of a of a kind of an open and growth kind of mindset where it's like, actually, we can work with this. We can do this. Well, you know, they were going to be here, weren't they? It wasn't their fault. You know, they were going to be there. So we had to do, you just have to be creative in that moment. And actually, I'd run this program before with 20-odd people. So I knew how it worked. I knew I could do it with 20-odd people. That's awesome. (laughs) So so, so there's something about, that's something about experience as well, isn't it? That you, you learn from all your experiences. Yeah, yeah, and I, I kind of, I was having a conversation, it was probably one for season one, I think, with one of my guests, I'm saying, you know, there's a reason why you, you can't just pass your driving test on the knee learning, <laughs> and there's kind of a reason why your first aid, kind of, you know, the most, the best first aid courses I've ever seen haven't been a knee learning clip next. No. And there's something no. around that kind of, that feedback and that kind of, that engagement and that, you know, peer, peer-to-peer and kind of community and I think you you miss out a lot of time with, with digital, definitely. As much as we try to be, and making mistakes as well. You know, I, a lot of digital is about how to get it right, but actually, it's the making mistakes and then having to deal with the consequences. That that are that that is genuine learning, isn't it? As long as you deal with them and don't repeat the mistake again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That that if anything, it becomes your most your most impact, impactful learner. I think often, yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of want to just jump back in on your book. I mean, there's a couple of quick fire round questions here. And I just want to be, be mindful of your time. Um, but when it comes to your book, what was, the, what was the three biggest challenges you had when you was writing your book? <laughs> um, I really enjoyed writing the book and I loved all the planning and I really enjoyed the writing. For me, the hardest bit is the checking afterwards. So that you know the going through and checking that you know the proofreading and checking the um, that all the references were all correct. So that was absolutely for me the biggest challenge. Um, I'm not sure I had any other. I, I really enjoyed doing it. There was a big fear when it first came out. Was oh my goodness, I've sort of put myself out in public here. And what if everybody turns around and says, well, that's just a pile of rubbish. What on earth were you talking about? And, you know, who do you think you are writing a book? Um, but that wasn't about writing the book. That was about what the reaction might be. Yeah, it's, 
and and that kind of takes me to to this 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 thing of fortunately it wasn't people like that <laughs> yeah uh, yes definitely I, uh, you know it's um it's an interesting one when it comes to kind of writing books. I mean, I've not, I've not, I've never, I've never wrote a book, and I don't think I'll ever, I'll ever come around to kind of writing one. But um, I think it, there is an, there is an element of bravery to that, definitely, and you know, putting your ideas out there, your thoughts, and kind of, and you know, it's, I think it's quite, it's very courageous to do, um, especially in this day and age as well. I think you know, it's so easy for people to kind of. Boo who your ideas. You know, it's so easy for me to kind of go onto onto something like a Twitter and go, nah, Stella's book weren't that great. You know, it's no, and I wouldn't. But you know, it's it's so easy to do nowadays, right? It's kind of so. I think you know, kudos to you for for doing that because I think it takes a lot for someone to release a book. I really do. But then again, again, you learn from it. So um, reading you know on, on Amazon you get reviews and things don't you and, and you know it's quite nice to go and read the reviews particularly the good ones but when I go on Amazon or TripAdvisor any of these things I always go and look at the bad ones as well just for you know a bit of balance and um and somebody really didn't like it and you know that was entirely their opinion that was fine but he said you know it was focused very much on face-to-face training and then didn't focus on digital so it had some you know had some elements of digital in it. so I thought well do you know what that person was so right. So in this book, there's a, there's a whole chapter on digital, and I've managed to weave digital in much more. So again, you can, you know, that's sort of the, the challenges that people throw at you. They're another learning opportunity. Yeah, and yeah, again, it comes in, and that's it's a great it's a great mindset that definitely. And you know, we see this a lot now in this coach this coaching culture around kind of, you know kind of em- em- embracing this kind of this this mindset and you know we can talk about resilience and whatnot but well I guess it's the growth mindset isn't it really yeah it, yeah a hundred percent hundred percent so I mean these questions are, are kind of you know you can take these personally professionally um but it's about more about kind of how getting to getting to know Stella so can you remember the first time you ever got in trouble <laughs> Um, I have to say I was quite a good girl. Um, <laughs> okay. That's the first time I got in trouble. No, I can't. I, I, I don't remember the bad things. <laughs> That's fine. That is perfectly I'm fine. I'm sure I got into trouble a lot for doing all sorts of things when I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess when it comes to kind of... Um, when we look at kind of, you know, this this social media and this kind of Twitter and Facebook and stuff, who's the three people you would recommend everybody should follow? And let's keep it to, let's yeah, let's let's keep it L&D-wise. Okay. Um, I think Jo Cook from Lightbulb Moments is a really good person to follow. She shares a lot. She's very generous in what she shares. Um, so I think she's really good. Um Gosh, I follow quite a lot of people, so that's quite a tricky one. Uh, stumped me because I've, I've, I've sort of I've, I've got so many people, and if I yeah, if I say if it's I say one, I'm going to upset somebody. It's, aren't al- I? it's always a tricky one, right? Kind of you. you Donald, you... Donald Taylor is is great to follow. Um, again, he you know he shares a lot of stuff, but he's also very human on Twitter, so I like his his humanity. Okay. 
Okay. That's what I really like. I'll have to come back to you on that one, I think, because otherwise I'm just going to upset somebody or... <laughs> okay, well, we've got two L&D folk. Maybe it's just one person who you think everybody should follow, you know, who else? Maybe it's not professional, maybe it's just personal, like, you know, who else do you follow? Who do you really like the tweets of? I, I actually, this is really ridiculous, but I actually follow my daughter um, because she works in cybersecurity and she posts some really interesting stuff about cybersecurity. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. And then her name's Alice Collins, if you need a, a Twitter handle to follow. Yep, I will definitely put them in the show notes. So for, for sure. me, that's really interesting because it's a whole world out there, it's a new world out there that's really, really interesting um, in terms of the digital, but also in terms of learning. Um, so yeah, there we go. Awesome, awesome. Okay, well, still, I just want to be mindful of your time, but I guess... Where can where can people find out a little bit more about kind of the happenings of Stella and, and the world, what you're doing and all the stuff, what you're up to? And where can we find your book as well? <laughs> okay, um, so the book's called Neuroscience for Learning and Development and you can find it on um, Kogan page with the publishers or on Amazon. Um, we have a website, so it's called www.stellarlearning.co.uk and we tend to post things on there. Um, events and whatever's going on, blogs. We were blogging regularly. Um, I am on Twitter myself, so that's at Stella Collins. And I'm using LinkedIn a lot more at the moment for some reason. That seems to be, um, I don't know, just seem, uh, maybe just keeps coming into my inbox so I notice it. Um, and then I've also, I think I mentioned that I've just become a brain lady. So there are four of us. Uh, one lives in the States, one's in Holland, one's in Belgium, and I'm in in Spain, but from England. And we've all got this real passion for practical application of neuroscience and psychology to, um, you know, to improving performance at work. So to, to, to real life world work challenges. And we called ourselves the Brain Ladies and we're brainladies.com. Okay, awesome. I will put all them in the show notes. I guess I've got two more questions and then we are done. Okay, so question one, right at the very beginning, I kind of asked you, you know, what is it when the teacher asks you kind of, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you mentioned kind of this, um, I think you talked about kind of fashion and stuff. Fashion designer. Yeah. So obviously, Stella, you know, you of all people know we we never we never stop growing. We never, ever stop. So if I was to ask you now, Stella, what is it you want to be when you grow up? What would you say? I would now like to be um, a children's author and illustrator. Okay. Perfect. Children's books. Okay. That's that's interesting, definitely. That's my that's my retirement job, if I ever retire. <laughs> There's too much work to be done, Stella. There's too much work <laughs> to be done. <laughs> um, so I guess a little bit of fun. So I asked you for um, a couple. I asked for some numbers, um, and I think you pick four. So your numbers tally up to a random list of items on my iPad, um, and your your items are a spoon, a canvas. Tire swing and an iPad charger. And the idea is you're on a desert island. What are you doing with these four items still? Ooh. Um I'm going to use the tire swing to in some way catch some dinner. Oh no, no, I know what I'll do. I'll I'll fill it with soil and I'll grow um I'll grow some plants in it. That'll be really good. Um the iPad charger, I could potentially use that. I don't have an iPad, so does that have a long wire on it? Longish, longish. Yeah. 
So I could maybe use that for catching fish in some way. And I'm going to use the spoon and the canvas. I'm going to get some um, like colored, colored soil and things. And I'm going to use the spoon to act like a sort of paintbrushy type tool and paint on the canvas. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Still, it's been an absolute so pleasure. And relax. Yes. Like, I mean, it's, 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 always, it's always an interesting one with, with, with that question because I get to see people's creativity and kind of a lot of people are trying to want to disappear from the island and a lot of people just say, you know what, I'm here, it's cool, let's make the most out of it. <laughs> but yeah, so Stella, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. Thank you for some really interesting questions. It's been really lovely to talk to you, Danny. No worries. Enjoy your evening, Stella. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.